Episode 12 of All Those Things Revealed. As I quietly sat with Mother, I began to look about the room for Father Brady and Una. I spotted them seated together not far from the door. We had probably passed them and had not even noticed. They appeared to be totally engrossed with each other. Father Brady was wearing his trousers and a clerical shirt. Una wore a simple dress of blue, which suited her perfectly. I let my eyes drift away from them and began to look about the room again. I soon found Mrs. Brady. She was seated on the far side of the room. I gestured to her, and she gave me a wave. Mother noticed it and looked at me with surprise. How well do you two know each other? she asked. I realized that I had been too friendly and had probably given myself away. Searching my mind for a quick answer that would satisfy Mother, I finally replied after some hesitation. She called on us once when you were not home. I made her tea and we talked for some time. That is all, Mother, I said. Mother nodded. She appeared to be satisfied with my response and did not ask me any more questions about Mrs. Brady. As I continued to eat, I noticed more and more people were placing their empty plates onto the floor near their chairs. I quickened my pace because I knew that once the plates were collected, the music and dancing would begin if a Clan Lara shindig was anything like an Athlone one. Sure enough, I was right, for no sooner had I thought this then I saw an older man carefully stepping around the guest and picking up empty plates. Once he had picked up five or six plates, he made his way to another room. Soon after, he emerged empty-handed and started collecting more plates. He repeated these actions. It did not take him long before everyone's plates had been collected, including mine and mother's. Glasses were filled and two strong young men began to clear chairs. Once an area had been cleared in the center of the cottage, the fiddle men started up again. This time their tune was livelier. The clear area in the center became larger and larger as people were pushed up against the wall and closer to one another. Soon a young man entered the center of the cleared area. As soon as he did, the tempo of the fiddle music slightly slowed and the fiddle men began to play an easy jig. In stockinged feet, the young man began to dance a slip jig. His movements were graceful. He was so concentrated on his movements that his face seemed contorted with emotion. His toes were high and his movements fluid. His feet moved quickly to the music. Sometimes he appeared to stand on his toes, and at other times one of his feet moved in a sweeping motion. His movements were so precise that I assumed that he was one of the traveling dance instructors so common in the west of Ireland. After a few minutes of his graceful dancing, he swept himself out of the cleared circle and the music picked up its tempo. Another young man entered the cleared area. His shoes were healed. He began to dance a jig. His feet moved rapidly, but they never appeared to move very far off of the ground. I watched him quickly and deftly lift one foot slightly off of the ground and then hop on his other foot before bringing his lifted foot back onto the ground with a resounding and satisfying tap. 
He continued his rapid movements in time to the music. People began to clap in unison as they cheered. After only a couple of minutes, a much older man pushed him gently to the side. The older man, despite his age, so resembled the younger man that it was obvious that they were father and son. Everyone roared as he began to dance with and challenge his son. The jig became more frantic. Some of those seated stood in excitement. To my surprise, the older of the two men was far more rapid on his feet than the younger of the two. I had never seen anyone's feet move so quickly. The music changed again as the fiddlers switched to an even livelier reel. A couple replaced the father and son and began to dance to the reel. More cheering and clapping followed. Some even began to stomp their feet. The couple appeared to be in the same age bracket as my father and mother. I glanced away from them and saw Father Brady standing and clapping. He smiled at me. I nodded in his direction. Soon the music changed yet again to a slower tempo. Couples were leading each other to the cleared area. I realized that they were starting a set dance. It was almost certainly a local variation, so I would not know the particular steps. My eyes found Shannon in a crowd of people. He motioned for me to join him. I looked at Mother, who had been watching me. She firmly shook her head in disapproval. Shannon remained seated. Only a handful of couples were taking part in the set dance. Father Brady and Una were among the couples. I watched them as they took their positions and began an easy reel. Father Brady gracefully led Una. They danced very closely. He looked at her with tenderness. It was plain for all to see that he loved her dearly. As they danced, she suddenly put more space between herself and him. She had a sly smile on her face. He looked surprised. She slightly lifted her skirt a few inches and started to perform a graceful and delicate dance to the reel. Father Brady smiled, and when Una paused, he did the same. Soon people began to give them more space. They took turns dancing a couple of times before they stopped. Everyone cheered and clapped their hands. The older man that had outshined his son handed a glass of ale to Father Brady. Una was handed one, too. Fresh glasses of ale began to be passed around the cottage. Father Brady looked about and waved his hands, motioning for all to be quiet. I would like to make a toast, he shouted. A hush began to fall over the room. He looked around again and began to speak. I would like to make a toast, he said again. First of all, I would like to toast my lovely priestwoman. He turned to Una and continued, Miss Una O'Day. He made a slight bow. She smiled and raised her glass to him. Everyone clapped and a few people cheered. He looked around the room and motioned at everyone. I would also like to thank all of you for being here tonight, he shouted. It means so very much to me and Una, he added. This brought more clapping and cheers. Father Brady motioned with his hands for people to quiet. Gradually, the clapping and cheers subsided. I need to ask something more of all of you. Right now, all of County Clare is hungry and we have plenty to eat. Some will say that this is because of the ingenuity of Mr. Macy. I agree with that but I also believe that the good Lord worked through Mr. Macy to bless us so that we would have plenty, he said. 
He looked around at the sea of faces in the room. Our neighbor's potatoes rotted in the ground, and we were spared this devastation, he continued. He then looked about him again, and raising his voice, he added, We were blessed. Everyone began to clap and cheer. Father Brady again motioned for all to be quiet. I believe that we have been blessed because we have been faithful to the old ways. All of you who are here tonight are a testament to that fact. We have remained true, and God has shown us his pleasure, he said. The room fell very quiet. Some bowed their heads and mouthed silent prayers. Those who are blessed must be grateful. The best way that we can show our gratitude to God is to extend kindness to others in need. Now I must prevail upon all of you and make this request, he continued. He bowed his head, and after a few moments he looked about him. New souls will be joining us soon. They hail from many parts of County Clare, as well as Galway and Kerry. They are not as fortunate as us. They are coming to Clonlara as part of a work scheme. They will be working on one of our locks. I ask that all of you open your hearts to them. They will need shelter and food. Please, I beg you, do what you can do to help these unfortunate people. The good Lord will smile on your efforts, just as he has smiled on your faithfulness, he concluded. The room was still largely hushed. Suddenly there was a sound of a horse outside of the cottage. All eyes darted in the direction of the front door. I looked at Mother. She looked at me with concern. I knew of no law that we were breaking, but the room had grown very still, and tension was in the air. I looked to Shannon, and even he appeared to be ill at ease. Anyone arriving this late was certainly not invited, Mother said in a whisper. There was a loud knock on the door, followed by another. Before anyone could answer the door, it was flung open. A middle-aged priest, possibly my father's age or a bit older, walked into the cottage. His face was contorted with anger and disgust. He looked around the room until his eyes fell on Father Brady and Una. Why are you here, Father McMahon? Father Brady asked. Father McMahon glared at him and continued to look around the room. People shifted uncomfortably. Many hung their heads. All of you are drinking and reveling. You are celebrating. What are you celebrating? You are celebrating something sinful and pagan. These old ways have been condemned by Holy Mother Church, Father McMahon said in a loud, booming voice. He turned directly at Father Brady and Una. You are not fit to call yourself a priest, and you are a whore, he added between clenched teeth. Una did not flinch. Father Brady started to move towards Father McMahon. Una reached for him and held his arm. Father Brady glared at Father McMahon. Father McMahon wasn't finished. This is a disgrace, he shouted. He looked about the room. All of you need to go home and pray for forgiveness. He turned around and walked out of the cottage. He shouted as he left, an unholy disgrace. When Father McMahon left, the room fell completely silent. Mother grabbed my arm and quickly dragged me out of the cottage. I was humiliated to be dragged from the cottage by my mother. 
I wanted to speak with Father Brady and Una. The cold night air hit my face. It was not raining, but the evening had grown much colder. I was surprised to see Father McMahon was waiting outside of the cottage. I glared at him, which surprised him. Mother didn't notice the look on my face. She looked at Father McMahon and then looked down. She quietly mumbled, Father? He simply nodded and returned his gaze to the cottage door. Mother still had my arm and would not let go. We quickly walked away from the cottage. I was furious at Father McMahon. Father McMahon's treatment of Father Brady and Una was unjust. I had suffered so much injustice that the sight of more had filled me with fury. I tore my arm from Mother's grip. She stopped and stared at me. I glared at her and defiantly held her gaze. After we stared at each other for a few moments, she turned away from me and began to walk towards home. I followed her. We did not speak to each other on our walk home, and we did not speak of the events of that evening for days. It was not until a few days after Father Brady and Una's nuptial celebration that we spoke of it with Father. We were all seated at our table, finishing the last of our breakfast meal. Father was not concerned with Father McMahon's interruption. He did not take much of an interest in what Mother told him until she mentioned the workers that would soon be arriving to work on the Shannon docks. Yes, they are part of one of the public work schemes, Father said. I looked at him curiously. He must have noticed the uncertainty on my face because he hurried to continue. Whenever famine strikes parts of Ireland, the public works establish jobs in various parts of Ireland that allow desperate people to work for their food. The government is then able to applaud themselves and claim that they have alleviated the suffering of the masses, he added. Now Mother looked at him curiously. Have you offered to help any of the workers? she asked. Yes, although I cannot hire any of them since they are all contracted to work on the locks, he said. How have you offered to help? Mother asked. I have offered our home, he said, without looking up from his plate. Our home? Mother asked, her voice rising with concern. Yes, I have offered room and board for one of the workers, Father replied. He finally looked directly at Mother. He will sleep in a loft and he will spend most of the day working. We can afford to feed one more at our table, he added. Mother nodded in agreement, but she did not look pleased. When will the workers arrive? she asked. I was told that the first of them will arrive tomorrow, Father said. Mother looked with irritation at Father. I looked down and smiled. I would not have smiled then if I had known what would follow. I did not yet see the darkness that was soon to come. Father's words proved true. The very next day, Father came home early. He brought a man with him named Eamon. I was shocked at his appearance. His dark hair was uneven and hung in clumps from his head, with a longer clump falling over his forehead and into his eyes. His pale face was hollowed. His bones seemed to jut from his cheeks, and his eyes seemed to protrude from their sockets. His shabby and dirty clothes hung on his malnourished frame. His eyes were cast down, and his voice was low when he greeted Mother and me. It is a pleasure to meet you, Mrs. De Lamar and Miss De Lamar, he said, 
in a voice that was barely audible. I looked from father to mother. Father had had time to recover from any shock he may have felt at Eamon's appearance, and he seemed confident as he led him into our cottage. We had already finished lunch, and it was too early for dinner, but that didn't stop me. I leapt to my feet. Have you been traveling today, sir? I stammered. He looked at me for a moment before answering. Yes, miss. I just arrived a couple of hours ago. I had to travel for many miles, he said. You must be exhausted and hungry. Please let me make you something to eat, I said. At these words, mother seemed to recover from her shock. No, Costanza, I will make our guest some lunch. Will you please make up his sleeping quarters and provide him with some towels for washing, she said. Yes, mother, I said. I started gathering some things from our hearth pantry. Mother reached for Eamon's belongings, which had been placed onto our floor. Father grabbed them instead. Father walked to the loft ladder and quickly climbed it. He placed the man's belongings in our loft. I heard the thud of his things and father muttering. I knew that the loft needed some work. I heard mother's voice behind me. Will you have some tea, she said. Yes, Mrs. Delamar, thank you, he said. His voice was weak, and now I noticed for the first time that it was also hoarse. I looked at him from my vantage point. His skin looked sickly pale and sallow. The shadows under his eyes were dark. My heart broke for this poor creature. I knew that he had suffered. His suffering was etched on his face, his dirty and cracked hands, and his worn and tattered clothing. Father descended from the loft. I grabbed my bundle and quickly climbed into the loft. My eyes adjusted to the dim lighting. I could see why father had been muttering. He had evidently been using the loft as a place to gather soiled linens and alike from his jobs. He probably hadn't realized how bad it was until he took a better look in the light of day. He usually tossed things into our loft early in the morning before leaving for work or after he returned. In either case, it was usually dark at these times. Now, in broad daylight, there was just enough light filtering through the window to make it clear that father had made a hell of a mess. I looked around in dismay. I heard father call to me. I put down my bundle and returned to the ladder. He reached up to me and handed me a small lantern that he had lit. I descended a few rungs of the ladder so that I could reach him and carefully took the lantern from him. I will be up there in a minute with a basket, he said. He looked in mother's direction. Let's not tell your mother about this, he said, smiling. Mother heard him and smiled, too. Father and I spent the next hour preparing the loft for our guest. By the time Eamon had finished three mugs of tea and a hearty lunch, he was able to retire to our clean and tidy loft for a quick bath and some rest. Mother called to him as he started up the ladder. We will eat dinner in about five hours. We will call you once we are ready to eat. If you want to come down sooner and join us, you are welcome to, she said. I walked to mother. She looked at me with concern. I leaned close to her and whispered, He is not well. She pulled away and stared at me. Father walked over to both of us. We gathered even closer together. I saw him trembling as he used the ladder. He is also sweating, I said in a whisper. 
Father and mother exchanged looks. Father then shook his head. When I met him earlier today, he was fine. He is just very tired. If he is sweating, it is because your mother served him so many mugs of tea, he said. Mother laughed softly and nodded. I returned to my room and stayed there until mother called us for dinner. At dinner time, my concern for our guest increased. Mother called for him twice and received no answer. Father told her to let him rest. Mother didn't say anything to father, but I could see that she was uneasy. She had made roast chicken and potatoes for our guest, which she believed would put some meat on his bones. He is probably getting some much-deserved rest. You can fill him full of breakfast tomorrow, father said. We spent the rest of our meal in silence. When I had finished, I asked to take some fresh air behind our house. I had heard the unmistakable sound of a kitten earlier in the day, and I hoped that I could discover it with the help of Shannon. I did not want to admit this to mother or father, because they were not as fond of Shannon as I was. They exchanged looks, and then father shrugged his agreement. Yes, of course, just don't stay out long enough to chill yourself to the bone, he said. Father was beginning to be his old self again, but he was still not as warm as he had been before my attack. Mother's closeness and fondness vacillated like our weather. I figured that mother's loneliness had more to do with her willingness to speak to me than any desire to forge a closer relationship with her shameful disappointment of a daughter. I grabbed a lantern from my room as well as a towel and made my way to the back door of the cottage. Shannon followed me to the door and then returned to my room. I knew that I would be on my own during my search. Remember, do not stay out too long, father called without looking in my direction. He was too focused on his second helping of mother's chicken to notice what I carried. I was grateful as he might have inquired as to why I needed a towel to get some fresh air. I had chosen a worn but thick towel that I knew would be ideal for wrapping a kitten if I were lucky enough to find one. Mother looked in my direction before I could leave. Why do you have that towel? she asked. I stopped in my tracks and sighed. I knew that it was pointless to lie to her. I explained to her that I had heard a kitten earlier. Father actually laughed at this. Soon we will have a menagerie, he said. Mother shook her head. She didn't forbid me to take in a kitten, and father didn't either. I went outside and quietly closed the door behind me before one of them could call to me with a warning. I walked the length of our yard, looking about with my lantern. I made it as far as the far end of our lot near the clearing. I knew that they had not discovered the path and that I risked their discovery of the path if they were to look for me now. I didn't want to take that risk and made my way back to our cottage. After about 30 minutes of looking, I heard our cottage door open and mother called for me. I went back inside and returned to my room. Shannon was asleep on my bed. I gave her an exasperated look. You sure were helpful, I said. She lazily looked at me and went back to sleep. This episode of All Those Things Revealed is based on a novel of the same name, available in print and Kindle formats at Amazon.com. Thank you for listening to the Iris Stories podcast.